Welcome to episode 16 of Critical Care in Emergency Medicine, a production of the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. AAEM is a nonprofit professional association of over 8,000 emergency physicians committed to board certification and democratic group practice. In this episode, Dr. David Farsi, Chairman of the Department of Emergency Medicine at Mount Sinai Medical Center, Miami Beach, and President of AAEM, speaks with Dr. Michael Winters, Associate Professor of Emergency Medicine and Medicine, Program Director of the Combined EMIM Program, and Founder and Co-Director of the Combined EMIM Critical Care Program at the University of Maryland School of Medicine in Baltimore. In this episode, Dr. Farsi and Dr. Winters will discuss balanced crystalloids versus normal saline in critically ill adult patients. Good afternoon from Miami Beach, Florida, September 2018, and this is Critical Care Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. David Farsi, and today I have the pleasure to speak with one of my friends, amazing Dr. Michael Winters. Dr. Winters is an accomplished speaker, nationally, internationally, amazing speaker. I know every time he goes to speak at AEM, he's one of the highest reviewed speaker, and you know they ask for him to come back more and more. So today we're going to look at a article that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine on March 1st, 2018, and the article is the balanced crystalloid versus saline in critically ill adults. This is a critical care podcast who will mainly focus on that article. The trial was a single institution trial in Vanderbilt. And before we even get into the trial, let me give a little intro. It seems that for the past 50 years, and at least for the past 17 years I've been practicing, that we've been questioning what is the ideal intravenous fluid for resuscitation? There's been multiple papers with low quality evidence, but none have answered the question, is balanced solution better than normal saline? Do we have the answer with this paper? First off, my thanks to you, David, for having me on the podcast. It's really my honor, my privilege to be able to chat with you and chat with our AEM listeners on one of the topics that both of us are passionate about, and that is fluid resuscitation. And we can go in a whole host of directions. As many of our listeners know, fluid resuscitation is probably one of the most common interventions we do when resuscitating very sick or critically ill patients. And unfortunately, a lot of the literature would say only about 50% of those people actually respond to fluids. And without getting too deep into whether someone's fluid or volume responsive or not, we know that in those that are not fluid responsive or volume responsive, just endlessly flooding them with additional fluid can cause harm. Organ congestion, start to have organ failure, multi-organ failure, and increases in morbidity and mortality. And there are a number of dynamic measures of fluid responsiveness that you've probably talked about before on the podcast from IVC variation using ultrasound to pulse pressure variation with an arterial line invented patients to now the passive leg raise. But actually, that's not what we're going to talk about today. We're going to focus actually on the type of fluid. And the type of fluid, or actually fluids in general, 
the first documented administration of IV fluids goes all the way back to the cholera epidemic in London, England, when a clinician administered some concoction of IV fluids to a, a young female suffering from hypovolemic shock from cholera. A few months later, Sidney Ringer develops his solution. Alexis Hartman adds lactate to that a few months afterwards. And then we really have ushering in this age of fluid resuscitation. And as you indicated, at least 50 years, perhaps even more in terms of the type of fluid that we are administering, does it actually affect patient-centered outcomes? That question really has remained unanswered. We've had a number of articles over the past, uh, let's say five to six years. Most of them have been observational, so there's all sorts of potential limitations with these studies. But at least there's a signal or a suggestion that maybe we should be moving to more balanced crystalloid fluid composition for resuscitation of critically ill patients. Now, just to take a quick second before we dive into the results of the SMART trial, remember our listeners, we typically administer normal saline, so 0.9% sodium chloride. In fact, if you take a look at the statistics, more than 200 million liters of normal saline are administered annually across the United States. So a lot of patients are getting normal saline. And something that you and I have talked about before, really normal saline was never developed actually to be a physiologic replacement IV fluid. There if are I might those- interrupt you, if I might, just to quote Dr. Peter W., you know, there's nothing normal about normal saline. Absolutely. A lot of, I've heard others like Alan Hefner call it abnormal saline, but you're exactly right. I, I think that quote rings true. And there's really, as all of our listeners know, there's just two components to normal saline. There's 154 milliequivalents of sodium and 154 milliequivalents of chloride in normal saline. And over the years, starting off with animal literature, there has been a suggestion or an indication that this supraphysiologic bolus of chloride contained in normal saline is harmful to many organs. Most of the literature you'll see cited has some concern over acute kidney injury or renal injury, but really it's thought that that hyperchloremia is just simply a pro-inflammatory state or induces a pro-inflammatory state, the release of a number of cytokines and and affects other organs, not only the kidneys, but also cardiopulmonary, the GI, and even the coagulation system. So in recent years, there's that question, do we move to more balanced crystalloids? And the, just the whole concept of balanced crystalloids, understand in normal saline that when, frankly, for that matter, when we give an IV fluid, it's going to affect to some degree the patient's acid-base status. And there's lots of other articles, lots of other blogs, podcasts that have delved down on the effects or the acid-base effects of various IV fluids. And many feel that with respect to normal saline, when you take into account something called the strong ion difference, which is simply cations minus anions, that's zero for normal saline. And that negative or the zero strong ion difference of normal saline reliably induces a hyperchloremic metabolic acidosis in patients who are receiving 
lots and lots of normal saline. So that strong ion difference, it's zero. It really pulls the pH down. Well, in contrast, balanced fluids have less of an adverse effect on someone's acid-base status. And the strong ion difference of these balanced crystalloids really is not zero. It's certainly something much higher than zero. And it is thought that these balanced fluids less adversely affect acid-base status. And the, the degree to which, you know, can be debated, but the degree to which lactated ringers or plasmolite, the ones that we'll talk about momentarily, is variable. So the strong ion difference of plasmolite is about 50. The strong ion difference of lactated ringers is somewhere close to the patient's bicarbonate around 24. So with that, let me delve into the SMART trial. You let off with the title. It was published earlier this year, I think March or so, in the New England Journal of Medicine, the SMART trial along with the SALT-ED trial. And really, this entire trial, the objective was to determine the effect of an isotonic crystalloid composition on clinical outcomes in critically ill adults. So the SMART trial is, in essence, stands for Solutions and Major Adverse Renal Events Trial. And it compared the use of balanced crystalloids with the use of normal saline in patients admitted to a single center, either their medical or non-medical ICUs. So what was the study specifically? A pragmatic, unblinded, cluster-randomized crossover trial it conducted at Vanderbilt in their five ICUs. They included adult patients over the age of 18 years who were admitted to one of those five ICUs during the trial time and enrolled at the time of ICU admission. Now, with respect to randomization, what did they do? For each month, those that got admitted during that month, they were either assigned to balanced crystalloids or saline, and then the next month, they would flip to the opposite. So that's how patients every other month got assigned to either balanced crystalloids or every other month assigned to saline. And it just so happened that they picked even number months for balanced crystalloids and odd number months for saline. Now, importantly, they did coordinate with their ED at Vanderbilt along with their OR to sync up the administration of those fluids and keep them the same. So patients were randomized either to saline or either LR or plasmolite for their balanced crystalloids, and this ultimately came down to physician preference. While it is a myth, uh, it's believed that it's a myth, hyperkalemia was a relative contraindication to the use of LR or plasmolite, as was someone with traumatic brain injury. And their primary outcome, and this is where we'll probably get into some discussion, David, there was a composite outcome of the proportion of patients who met one or more criteria for MAKE, M-A-K-E, which stands for Major Adverse Kidney Event Within 30 Days. And this was a composite outcome of either death, new receipt of renal replacement therapy, or persistent renal dysfunction. Secondary outcomes were in hospital bef death before ICU discharge at either 30 or 60 days, ICU-free days, ventilator-free days, vasopressor-free days, and then days alive and free of renal replacement therapy very common secondary outcomes that we would see in trials evaluating critically ill patients. So what was the number? What were the numbers? This was one of the largest trials evaluating fluids in a critically ill patient population. They included 15,802 patients across their five ICUs. Now, in terms of 
a little bit deeper into the numbers, the median volume of normal saline was a little over a liter, and it was about the same for the balanced crystalloids. So when you take a look at all comers, thinking after they're randomized in the ICU, getting one to two liters, not really that much fluid administration, and we would probably say that's a little on the low side for someone being admitted to the ICU. Now their primary outcome, what happened here? Once again, that major adverse kidney event, the composite outcome in those that had saline, or received saline was 15.4%, compared with those that got a balanced crystalloid, and their make at 30 days was 14.3%. So overall, a difference of 1.1%, and they did reach statistical significance. Now with respect to their secondary outcomes, really not much change there. So patients who died before hospital discharge or within 30 days of their ICU admission, the balance group 10.3%, saline 11.1%. So not a statistical difference. So at face value, it did appear that the administration of balanced crystalloids had a statistically significant reduction in the composite outcome of major adverse kidney events at 30 days. Lots of potential areas to discuss with this specific trial, David. I've talked long enough. Let me turn things back over to you for a little bit more of a critical analysis of this paper. Thank you very much. Excellent, excellent recap of the paper. And so when I tell my residents, today medicine with social media we have and podcasts and everything, you don't just take anything face value what Dr. Farsi and Dr. Winters discussed. You should always pull the article and not only pull the article, but you should also go to the appendix. Each article has an appendix where you have more data, more information where they derive the data. Two questions that I have. So we know they're comparing normal saline versus balanced crystalloid. And in the balanced crystalloid, they're using lactate ringer and plasmolite. Now, it was very, very hard for me to detect how much percentage of plasmalite versus lactate ringer was used. And the reason I'm saying this is plasmalite osmolarity is more physiological at 294 versus lactate ringer, who's 273, might, might be a little bit hypotonic. Were you able to dissect this in the article in the appendix? Because I couldn't. I think for the SMART trial, it's a little harder to pin down, but I think if you look over at the SALT-ED trial and the selection between LR and plasmalite, it appears that Vanderbilt is very much an LR type of institution. So in the SALT-ED trial, 95% of the balanced crystalloids was in fact lactated ringers. And I think that we can make a reasonable assumption that the preponderance of the balanced crystalloid used here in the SMART trial was in fact LR. And you're right, the chemical, well, the osmolality of LR is about 274, so it is a slightly hypotonic IV fluid. And then it also contains about 130 milliequivalents of sodium, so it's a slightly hyponatremic, hypotonic IV fluid. So just to continue, so some of the question when I look at the paper and I says, is this a standard, is this something that I do in my ICU or in my emergency department? And I was a little bit shocked to see the amount of volume that they compare. And in the balanced crystalloid group, they really looked at, at 1,000 milliliters 
and in at the medium and in the sodium chloride was 1,020 milliliters. That's a fairly small amount of volume. Agreed. And so I think it's very, very difficult because if we just look at sepsis or hypovolemic, you know, we're, we're, going, we're going easily one, two, three liters. So I'm not sure, for me, this is one point already that's already has me questioning and you have to commend the authors because, I mean, this is a very large trial, very well-conducted trial with a very large number. And it's very easy for us to sit here. And if anybody has ever done a IRB or a study, it's very difficult to do the study. It is extremely easy for us to criticize it. So hopefully this is more for an education to understand that does this apply to my patient population? It is not about criticizing the paper saying, you know, it doesn't work. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. And I think you mentioned a key word in there that I, I want to take just a few minutes to talk about, and that is sepsis. Now, overall, when we take a look, and I'm not the best one to go through and explain the limitations from an evidence-based medicine standpoint regarding composite outcomes. But in essence, when you're looking at composite outcomes, each of those outcomes you assume are a somewhat rare event. And by combining those outcomes into a composite outcome, you're hoping to find a signal that reach, may reach statistical significance. One of the issues when you look at that composite outcome, so let's take this trial, let's look at major adverse kidney events, let's look at death, and then let's look at new renal replacement therapy. When you have a composite outcome, you're weighting all of those outcomes equally. And, you know, I, I, I'm going to assume that all of our listeners probably would weight death and our patients would weight death much higher than maybe persistent renal dysfunction. And while the composite outcome did reach statistical significance, when you actually look at all three, it appears that probably the composite outcome reaching statistical significance was driven a little bit more by persistent re that persistent renal dysfunction. Now, having said that, so that, that is something to, to pay attention to. So in terms of talking about the patient with sepsis, you know, I think it, all of our listeners can appreciate that sepsis is one of, if not the most common critical illness that we're resuscitating, we're managing in the emergency department, and it's one of the most common critical illnesses also encountered in the intensive care unit. And when you drill down on the patients in this study who were diagnosed with sepsis, those with sepsis did get larger volumes of fluid. And that would seem to make sense with our emphasis on CMS measures, core measures, providing an initial fluid bolus in those patients with sepsis. But nonetheless, they got a little bit more of the crystalloid than the, the typical 1 to 1.2 liters of the, in, with respect to the other patients. And when you specifically and only isolate down on the mortality, there did appear to be a wider mortality difference in patients with sepsis who got balanced crystalloids. So the in-hospital mortality in those that had saline was 29.4%, and those that had or received a balanced fluid 
was 25.2%. So a, a little bit larger gap in the specific septic population getting balanced crystalloids. Correct, correct. And, that, and I think that's one of the probably key point of this article that maybe septic patient would have a benefit in balanced crystalloid. A few other people have written on this and pontificated on it, put posted blog posts as well as some podcasts. But what we referenced really at the beginning, normal saline is more of an acidotic solution. And the majority of our septic patients have an existing acidemia. So just thinking about this rationally, would we want to give a fluid that we know worsens acidosis to somebody with sepsis who already has an existing acidosis. And I can tell you that within the intensivist population and cohort across all of our ICUs at, at Maryland, we've really shifted towards the use of more balanced fluids. We tend to err on the side of plasmalite than lactated ringers. But once again, we have all three solutions available at our institution from normal saline to LR to plasmalite. I will say also in our shock trauma center, they have begun using a lot more plasmalite in trauma critically ill patients. And you know, I, I defer you over to Deb Stein in terms of a conversation there, but we've certainly seen across our institution the move to more balanced crystalloids. And even during my time at shock trauma, that was already the solution of choice. Just to point out, because I know we will get some criticism from some attendings. Yes, we're very, very aware that after the Hurricane Irma, the fluid situation in America was very difficult. Lots of institutions couldn't have lactic ringer, didn't have normal saline. And I've heard a lot of physicians saying, you know, what's the fluid that we are in stock? We're not talking about this crisis. We're just giving you the evidence base on this article. I think the last point, and this is mainly for you maybe to explain to me and maybe to explain to our listener. If you pull on the appendix uh, figure S8, which shows the heterogeneity of treatment after 30 days in hospital mortality, and they show that you know, the category, the really the conclusion is it's going to balance crystalloid, improve renal function, decrease the amount of RT. But in all of the group, they all cross the one, you know, 0 0.79 to 1.06, 0 0.78 to 1.33, 0 0.75 to 1.12. And for my statistic, I've always been told if the line cross one, then it's not statistically significant. Am I wrong? Is this? No, I, th I think you're right on. And it's something that we alluded to a few minutes ago and just talking about the limitation of a composite outcome weighting those equally. And if you completely separate out each of the three components of their composite outcome, there wasn't statistical significance. And then when you group them together, that's when the statistically significant difference was found. So, you know, your interpretation and your evidence-based approach is very much right on. And I, you know, getting back to something you just mentioned about the limit the limitations or availability with respect to natural disasters. All of our practitioners practicing in our various settings, we all have specific resource limitations and it just depends on where we're at, the institution we're at, what they choose to stock. 
if your institution or, and your emergency department really only stocks normal saline, well, that's the fluid you have to resuscitate patients. You have to go with what resources you are provided. If, however, your institution, and I would say that many do, have some balanced fluid in addition to normal saline, I think certainly this gives us adequate reason to consider really a balanced crystalloid in our critically ill patients. And specifically regarding the SMART trial, I do feel that in our sicker patients in the ED, there is a signal that resuscitating with balanced fluid, especially in our septic patients, is better for patient care in the long run. And it, it's certainly something that I've shifted to doing, but I, but having said that, my bias, I, I've shifted well before the results of the SMART trial came out. But I think when you've got a really, really sick patient and you anticipate giving these large volumes of fluid, in my mind, it, it doesn't make sense to, to continue to administer it a solution that will further aggravate their acidosis. Right. And in the parting word, last time I heard you speak about this, you said something that kind of resonated with me. And you said, you know, even though that the number to treat is one out of 94 patient, but then you said, you know, and I'll let you re-say what you said, but you said if we affect one person and we multiply that one person by X amount of I don't want to steal steal your quote, but can you repeat that? Because I think that's a very important point that people need to understand because one out of 94 may seem a very small number. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're right that when you look at the number, the statistical difference between the primary outcome, that plays out to a number needed to treat of about one in 94. But this was even mentioned in, the I think, the discussion in the article and perhaps either the editorial that accompanied it that so many patients are getting normal saline, so that 200 million liters of normal saline administered annually to patients, that even that number of one in 94, when you take the thousands and millions of patients getting normal saline, that really does affect thousands and thousands of patients across the country by making a move towards more balanced fluids in the critically ill patient. And so that, you know, overall that impact stands to be and can actually be profound. Correct. So in recap, give us the your final departing words. I think we've kind of pretty much covered this article and the important topics surrounding this article. Yeah, well, I mean, once again, David, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. I think this is one of the landmark articles that our listeners need to be familiar with in 2018, specifically looking at care of the critically ill ED patient. Fluids are our most common intervention in the emergency department. Sepsis is our, is our, is our most common critical illness. This is the largest study to date from a randomized standpoint, looking at balanced fluids versus normal saline. And in 15,000, almost 16,000 patients, there was a statistically significant difference, albeit small, 1.1% in major adverse kidney event, with the limitations that this is a composite outcome. Patients got about a liter or so after randomization in the ICU. So you can certainly hang on those limitations, but 
with respect to those that had sepsis. You know, I, I certainly think the larger volume of fluid that patients with sepsis got and the, the widening of that in-hospital mortality difference really sends a signal to me that, especially for this patient population, which you see day in and day out, moving towards a balanced fluid, I think at the end of the day is better for patient care. Agree. And just for the residents, because I know it's always, it always comes up, people tell you, you're either an early adopter or a late adopter. And when I tell my, the residents, early adoption, if it doesn't cause harm, if it's something that does not cause harm, then it's okay to be an early adopter. And I think this is one of the landmark trials that shows that with patient in sepsis, septic shock, that balanced crystalloid definitely has a potential of improving, decreasing length of stay, decreasing hospital stay. And I think this is kind of a no-brainer. Again, this, you could advocate to your department to make sure that they carry balanced crystalloid. Outstanding, David. Thanks so much for the opportunity to join you on this podcast. Well done. You're doing an outstanding job on these critical care podcasts and hope to join you in the coming months, maybe for another one. Oh, for sure. For sure. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. I do want to remind everybody, please register for the Scientific Assembly in 2019, which will hold in Las Vegas. We have an amazing lineup of speaker. I do would like to thank all our listeners and especially our Latino. Gracias ustedes para escuchar. Disculpa que no lo puedo hacer en español, pero gracias. Thank you very much. Thanks, Dr. Winters, for your time. Have a great day. You too, David. Thanks again. All right, thanks. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. For more information about AAEM, please visit our website, www.aaem.org. While you're there, be sure to check out AAEM Connect, where you can engage in a conversation around the issues discussed in this podcast. Find all episodes of Critical Care in Emergency Medicine and other podcast series on the AAEM website underneath the Publications tab. Join us again next episode as Dr. Farsi will discuss another topic of importance for emergency physicians.